It's not always the big things that change the world. It's the small acts of kindness that happen repeatedly over a lifetime that make the world a better place. So every week we share a story of someone like you who is doing good in the world in their own way. Welcome to Doing Good with Carmen Herbert. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Doing Good. I am your host, Carmen Herbert. And if you want to check out other episodes of Doing Good, tell your friends and family to download the Our Turtle House app. You can check out a bunch of different episodes as well as firesides and turtle talks from awesome speakers like Meg Johnson, Hank Smith, and John, by the way. And we have, on occasion, some really fun guests that get to come on the show and talk with us. And today I have a really fun guest. I'm super excited that he's here, Jason Hewlett. Jason, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you, Carmen, for having me on here. I love this platform. You guys do great work. Thank you so much. We're trying and we love to showcase people like you that are just out there doing good and uplifting others with humor and happiness. And that's why I asked you to come on for your humor and happiness because <laughs> you're funny and happy and you do, you just seem like you're just, life is just good. Like you're just kind of chill. Like I, I, like I haven't, I, you know, talked with you and done some things with you a few different times. We haven't, you know, really sat down and like, you know, gotten into each other's, you know, the deep, dark secrets of each other's lives, which we will probably today on the podcast. Cause I'm like that. I like to get to know people really fast all about them. But you just seem like you're just like happy-go-lucky, like just cool. Like life is easy. What, why, why are you that way, Jason? (laughs) Well, how are you that way? Life is wonderful. (laughs) Life is wonderful as we make it, I believe. And I know that when we have the, the things that we get to do for our lives, for example, I get to make a living making people smile and spreading joy, whether that's in performing or writing or whatever I can do to bring more happiness to their life. And so I can't do that if I'm not happy as well. And it's not just a matter of making people laugh, because I think real miserable people can make people laugh. That's that's a standard thing for a lot of comedians. But for myself, I I feel that I'm a spreader of joy. And so I do all I can to work on being a joyful guy. That's what comes across. It absolutely comes across. And I agree with you. I think that there is a difference between making people laugh and honestly uplifting their spirits. And that's what you do. You lift people's spirits. So let me go ahead and read your amazing bio so people can know how amazing you are. And then let's get into it. Okay. So Jason, having delivered thousands of presentations over two decades, you are the only speaker in the world teaching leadership in a performance of uncanny musical and comedy impressions, utilizing the legends of stage. Okay. So The Promise is a keynote speech that feels like a show with proven process and immediately implementable, implementable, right? Did I say that right, Jason? Takeaways to transform your business and leadership skills. And you do. You really, you perform. You don't go to hear you to just listen to a lecture. It's a full body facial expression voices performance. I want to talk about why you got into that. So you are the author of the Facebook post entitled, I saw my wife at Target today, which has been seen by more than 100 million people. A recent 
and one of the youngest inductees into the prestigious Speaker Hall of Fame. Your talks inspire leadership from the perspective of a promise while giving attendees an engaging, entertaining, and educational experience all in one. With over 2,000 presentations for Fortune 500 companies and clients such as American Express, Delta Airlines, and the Salt Lake Olympics, New Skin, Unique, Coca-Cola, Wells Fargo, you are the go-to solution for a keynote, entertainment, and MC all in one. So you're like one-stop shop. So some of your credentials, you were inducted into the Speaker Hall of Fame, which is amazing. One of the youngest ever with the CPAE Council Appears Award for Excellence. That's pretty incredible. You were invited to be part of the Middle East tour in support of the U.S. military in Kuwait, Afghanistan, and Africa. How awesome is that? Author of The Promise to the One, recipient of the National Outstanding Eagle Scout Award from the Boy Scouts of America, awarded to only 800 men in the history of scouting. You also have your Eagle Scout Award. So did you have to go to like get your wood badge and all that like how did you receive that that award they apparently award it to people that have gotten their ego when they were a kid okay and then have have lived the principles of scouting throughout their life and into adulthood and then being the top in their profession so that's how they choose that that is really awesome. One of only 800 men in the history of scouting. That's really cool. And then you also received the prestigious Star Award from the Sierra Center from the Arts. We love the Sierra. So some of your hobbies include hiking, writing music, playing with your kids, and staring at your wife. <laughs> Does she like that hobby as well? No, she just she just sits back and goes, okay, that's enough. <laughs> look over there. Don't look at me anymore. That's how I am. Like, stop looking at me. And then when he's not, I'm like, do I not look pretty at me? Why, why It's pretty today. Why aren't you looking at me? We're complicated, Jason. One of your greatest accomplishments is within the walls of your own home. You are the husband to the most beautiful woman in the world. And her name's Tammy, the one that you stare at. And dad to four incredible young children who serve as your inspiration and help deliver material for your presentations. My kids are the same way. They give me the best material. That's how kids are. Good and bad. As a family, the Hewlett's donate over 20 hours a month. Awesome. In community service, volunteering, mentoring, outreach, and philanthropy to worthy causes in their home state of Utah. Jason, holy cow. I am like not even worthy to have you on my little podcast of doing good. I'm so lucky to have you. <laughs> They're funny. Thank oh, it's always you. fun to listen to the bio, isn't it? I'm isn't it the best? Like, yeah, I, that's I all true. Hey. Just listen how amazing I am. I love reading other people's bios because I do think it's it's so fun to showcase. Look at all the good you're doing. Look how awesome you are. I hate it when people read it about me. I'm like, no, stop it. Oh, it's like cringeworthy. But I think it's good to hear uplifting things about yourself every now and then. We need that. We need to be uplifted. So speaking of that, Jason, tell me how this all got started. How have you used your humor and talents to uplift others? How did you get into speaking? Well, I actually started as an entertainer in Las Vegas. Vegas? (laughs) Yeah. No. And I uh, I was with the Legends in Concert show, and they actually had me on the touring cast, so we got to go to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, Philadelphia, other places around the country. Oh, I started my career 20 years ago now. I was a Ricky Martin impersonator. Oh, little my gosh. I can totally see that. Okay, you have to do a little <laughs> snippet for us really fast. Oh, yeah. Put you on see. the spot. Come I'm on. sad and sad out. I'm little la vida loca. Yeah, so that was, <laughs> that was how my career began. And, no, thank you. Uh, yeah. And then I, I looked just like him. I figured out how to do the makeup and the contouring and, and, and I sounded like him when I sang. And, and then I 
fit into leather pants. So that was exciting oh. back then. And that was right at the beginning when my wife and I had just gotten married. And so I had only been home from my LDS mission for about about a year and a half, two years. And next thing I know, I'm working for a Las Vegas company, just married in the temple to my beautiful wife. And my dream was beginning to come true. And, and after I worked there for a little bit, I decided to leave and create a one-man show. Okay. And eventually, the one-man show of all my voices and impressions and faces and comedy turned into a leadership message because when I would perform at a company, the leaders came up to me after and said, while you were making us laugh, you were teaching. And yes. I said, well, that's what I wanted you to get out of it. And the next thing I knew, I'm working on becoming a keynote speaker where instead of being the after dinner entertainment guy, yes. I was now the early morning opening keynote guy for leadership and, and engagement and inspiration. So that's my journey. That's kind of my path as to how we got here. That's so interesting. It's like the early morning guy, but with the after dinner, like humor and, and entertainment, because they are, they're two different things. And I think that's what's so interesting about you that you somehow managed to marry those two things together and it works. It doesn't come across as like cheesy or uncomfortable, like people really love it. So how did you know oh, this is awesome. Like, did you do it one time and got a great response and you're like, this is going to work? Or did you kind of have to play with it for a while before you figured out your thing? Cool question. I mean, uh, it was awful at first because I was not <laughs> very well spoken. <laughs> and so, really? Was, oh, no heavens. I, I, was, I can't I even was picture that. all about the laughs. I just wanted them to laugh, 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 laugh. And when you get into entertainment mode, since you're a singer, you know yes. that when you, when you sing, you do a song for three minutes and then they clap and then you say a little something and go into the next song and then they clap and so I got into that mode as entertainer guy now trying to do it as a speaker you know when you're a speaker you need to capture them right away with something entertaining but then you need to go to this place that's a bit deeper and it needs to be longer it can't just be like here's a thought for five seconds and here's another one and here's another one you have to go down a path that's almost a meander and continue to little bursts of joy and inspiration as you go, but you have to go deeper. And so I was going, I was doing like, you know, funny thing for one minute, funny thing for a minute, funny thing. And then it was when I finally started coaching or getting coaching with others, watching myself on video, realizing I can make them laugh for five minutes and then we're going into a principle for 10 and I'm going to give them a lot of meat and then we're going to come back to the entertaining stuff and then we're going to go into the deep stuff. It was a very interesting process, but I knew it would work because that was my original intention was to say, how can I be the most entertaining speaker they've ever seen that also walks away with something that they've learned that's Substantial. Yeah, right. And so when you when you made that that switch from entertainer to entertainer motivational keynote speaker was it a hard transition you said you it speaking was hard for you at first were you coached did you did you take classes how did you make that transition yeah i really struggled i mean especially my clients struggled because they were used to having me back every year as the entertainer guy and when i all of a sudden said now i'm a speaker the clients were like why just entertain us just make us laugh we don't want you to speak and teach us anything and and so i had to ditch my website which was all entertainment based ditch my videos which were all entertainment based and say 
I'm now speaking with entertainment mixed in. And that was almost like when people remember Jim Carrey when he was Ace Ventura and then yeah. all of a sudden went into being the Truman Show guy. Like, right. It was such a shift in their minds or like Robin Williams as Mork and Mindy and all of a sudden he's in Goodwill Hunting. So yes. like this shift for people was hard. And it was hard for me as well. I had to create all my clients from scratch again and uh, had to recreate my career. And so, yes, I've had many coaches. I've hired many people to help me mix all the worlds of entertainment and and presenting as a speaker with coaching ideas or concepts that are implementable, as you yeah. read perfectly. And that's what's that's what it's become. And I'm grateful that now I have clients that are like, we want you to open the conference with leadership for an hour. Then we want you after dinner to do a show. And can you MC for the whole day? You know, so now I'm this triple threat and it's really become a fun career. And how fun is that, that you were able to discover other talents that you had, that it wasn't like, well, this is what I do. I'm an entertainer. You were able to sort of branch out and now you found so many other things that you're good at. So what advice would you give to someone that's maybe feeling like, well, this is what I do. I'm a singer or I'm a writer or I'm this that maybe want to, but feel like, but maybe I wouldn't be good at that. Do you feel like, well, anyone can be good at what they work at? Or do you feel like, well, you kind of have to have a talent or a passion for it? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, we could go on the spiritual route, which I'd say, go to Matthew 25 and read the parable of the talents again. You know, one was given uh, five, one was given two, one was given one. And then all of a sudden, the guy with five doubled his and the guy with two doubled his, the guy with one buried his. And so if you have only one, are you doubling it? Can you magnify it? I actually uh, teach this process called the ICM process. And that's how we discover our talents and our signature moves is what I like to call them. <gasps> and that the ICM is identify, clarify, magnify. And that's all you have to do. Start to identify your gifts. It doesn't mean that you just have one. You probably have 50 that you may not be utilizing. And then when you identify what you feel your character traits are, your gifts, your talents, your skills, your even your aspirations, then you come up with like a top 10 list of your words. So for me, for example, I'd say, I am an entertainer, I'm a speaker, I'm a journaler, I'm a hard worker, I'm a boy scout, like those kind of things work for my identity. Okay. And then when I, when I go to step two, which is clarify, I'm now involving the people I trust the most in my life. So I would ask my wife, my children, my parents, then I'd ask leaders, people that know me, even my clients and say, hey, I'm doing a process where I'm trying to get some words that define who I am. What do you see in me? Oh, and all that's of a sudden, good. Carmen, what's interesting is the words that I said for me, like I'm a hard worker, the words I get from my peers are like, you're not a hard worker, you're tenacious. You know, oh, I'm like, interesting. I like that word, you know, or my wife, when I was like, you married me because I'm funny, right? And she goes, you are funny. But the most desirable trait I saw in you was that you're thoughtful. Oh, and, and I was like, I love that word, you know, so all of a awesome. sudden, identify your own words, clarify with others, and then magnify your promise to share it with the world. I just taught that ICM process in what a minute and a half. Usually that, it's a full workshop. But that fun. is awesome and such great advice. I love that you can go to other people. And have you taken that same idea and asked Heavenly Father, what do you see in me? What qualities do you think I have? 
That's right. And you know, when we, when we get uh, asked to do a calling in our church, if we're like, I can't do this. What? I, mean, I, yeah. I was just asked recently on my new calling to be in charge of the audit for the stake, the, oh. the money. And I'm like, I don't even <laughs> audit my own business. I don't know what I, I mean. And so I said to them, I'm not going to be great at this, but I will do all I can. And they then put a mentor with me to be partners who was, you know, this math uh, finance genius. And, and he mentored me along. Did I perfect that? No, but I now have a new skill, just like what happened with uh, virtual events. I mean, I yes. started out, you know, being the entertainer and speaker on big stages. Now, relinquished to my home. Yes. And so it's like, <laughs> how do we make that shift? I now have all new skills because of 2020. So when people are saying, oh, this is such a bummer year, I'm like, I've never grown so fast, so so, so quickly. This is incredible to, to go from not even knowing how to get on a Zoom call uh -huh. to all of a sudden being able to do a full performance that people go, wow, we'll pay you money to do that because it was so cool. You know, that's amazing. That that's is amazing. when we multiply our gifts. I love that you've done that. And you were showing me, for those that are listening to the podcast, all your different camera angles. So you really can still make it a full-on production and show. And I love that you took the, man, this is really hard and things are crazy, And but what can I learn from this approach, which is a growth mindset, which sounds like you've kind of nailed. Have you always been that way? Like look on the bright side of things and been positive and growth mindset, or is this something a skill that you've acquired? I think that originally I was very, very optimistic as a child. And, and then when I went on a mission and I was in Brazil and every door was slammed in my face. And then when I came home and tried to date and every phone call was slammed in my face, <laughs> I, I became a bit pessimistic in that instance. What happened is then I went and got a job in Vegas and I saw things and, and was experiencing things that became pessimistic. So here's what's interesting. I have this youthful exuberance of joy and optimism. Yes. And in adulthood, life is slamming its, its face at me. And so I have a choice every day which one I'm going to lean into. I mean, it, it is waking up on the wrong side of the bed. We can say that as our excuse. Yes. But are we willing to say to ourselves... I'm not feeling great about myself or I don't like my situation or I'm not happy today. Can I shift that somehow by doing something physical, spiritual? For me, I know, Carmen, I wake up and the first thing I do, I put my shoes on and I go outside and I'm just breathing it in and I'm like, okay, today is going to be awesome. And I'm listening to podcasts like this and I'm, and I'm praying and I'm talking to heavenly father and people are walking by like that guy's crazy, but I'm <laughs> saying a prayer as I walk. <laughs> and I'm, I'm just filling myself up with joy so that I can then be the optimistic person I know is in there, but that pessimist is still barking at me all the time. And so I think it's a choice. That's really great advice. I, I agree with you. I think that our minds are so powerful. My mom used to tell me all the time growing up, whatever you want, visualize, visualize. And I feel like I was able to accomplish the things I did in my life, not because I was the most talented, certainly not because I was better than anyone, but I genuinely feel like I believed it more. And I believed in myself so much. I was like, I can make anything happen. Audition for American Idol. 72,000 people, they're going to pick 12. 
Sure. I can do that. I mean, how it's crazy to think about, but it's also amazing to be like, man, what is our potential? If we listen to that childhood, you can do anything self instead of the adult pessimistic self. Yeah, totally. And that's, I remember when you were on American Idol and I remember watching it because I was thinking, should I go on that show? Should I try it? And then you showed up as the, the, you know, the Utah girl and, and you did so great and everyone loved you as you went through. And obviously you had your detractors, but you also had people that just loved you. And it was because you had that joyous light that came from you and it, we don't all need to sing like david archuleta i mean yeah. let's be honest we can sing and we can share our gifts and we can spread our light and and we'll be rewarded for that by the lives that we bless and you've blessed many lives with your you know your willingness to put yourself out there like that that was a big big thing that you did and we're very proud of you i know as Thank an entire you. state That's so sweet of you to say, Jason. Thank you so much. And I have learned and grown a lot from then. I was 17 when I was on the show. I'm 35 now. And originally, it it was all about being the best and trying to beat someone else and competing with people. And the harder I would try, the worse I would be. And it's funny because I've never sang like that in my life, the way I sang on American Idol. That is not how I sing. You can YouTube videos of me singing now and do all this stuff. But I I was so nervous and so worried about pleasing people that I was not my best self. Unfortunately, that was the self that showed up for national television for everyone to see. But And then I would get more criticism. Then I'd get more down on myself. And I feel like I had to please myself. And it was at the point where I had stopped singing for a year. Like, I hate this. I'm not going to ever sing again. I went to BYU. I stopped singing. Like, I'm not going to do that anymore. I do have a terrible voice. I agree with what everyone else said. And I would, I would put my laundry in the little laundry room downstairs. There was, you know, the group laundry that you did. And I put my quarters in. And then there was a piano downstairs and I put my laundry and I played the piano while I waited for my laundry to be done. And I just sing for me. And that's where I really discovered my love of music. It was just for me. And it was like, oh, but I like singing. Even if other people don't like the way I sing, I like it. And that is where everything changed for me. And then eventually it grew into, oh, I want to do this to uplift others. It's it, it was it was for others, like for their approval. And then it was for me and my approval. And then it became about, oh, I want to do this to have my father in heaven's approval and, and to bless others. And that's where I saw the most success. So tell me about that in your life. Did you have a moment where you were like trying to do things for other people? And do you like me? Do you like me? And or was it like, okay, I need to I need to do this because I genuinely love it and want to do it? Well, first of all, thank you for sharing your experience because obviously I didn't know you went through that, but that that's so challenging, especially in the public eye. And yeah. I know that I've I've written things that have gone viral and other and people come after you and it's hard to not take it personal. So I admire you for getting through that for sure. I know that as my career has progressed, I've had people come up to me after shows even over a decade ago that said you should be more famous, you should be way more successful. And they were trying to tell me what success was. And I had to define it for myself very early on that success didn't just mean fame and money and power and all these things, but rather fulfillment and living my life's purpose and these types of things. I know that I I got a, a, a real rude awakening when I would come off stage after doing a hundred or so musical impressions 
everywhere from Led Zeppelin screaming to Metallica to uh, Bruce Springsteen, stuff that's really bad on my vocal cords, and I would be coughing up, I'd be coughing to try to get to be able to say anything after the show. My voice was just gone, and there'd be blood on the cloth, you know, and I'd be like, <gasps> Oh, that's I'm bad. Injuring myself yes. for the audience. And I remember hurting my neck so bad doing my very famous Jim Carrey impression, where I would whip <laughs> my neck around and I'd slam myself on the ground and get a standing ovation every single show, Carmen, every time it worked. But oh. I was hurting myself with every single show, 2,000 gigs I have done so far or, or more. And so it wasn't until a doctor, and I go to the ENT doctor who puts the camera down your throat. Yes, goes, I've had that. You're ruining your gift. You're destroying your future. I was 35, your age, when this was told to me, and oh. the only way I was making a living was with my voice. And then yeah. at the same time, I was getting traction done where I would go to a physical therapist. They'd put weights on my forehead and weights on my neck, opposite directions, and pull and push to try to get my neck back into place because I'd hurt it so bad, pleasing the audience. So, Carmen, what you talked about a minute ago, I've been through in my own way. I used to perform anything the audience needed in order to laugh, anything for them to give me a standing ovation. It wasn't until I kept a promise to myself, to myself that I would not hurt myself, that I would preserve myself, that I would not ruin the gift that God had given me. And why do I need to do a hundred voices in a show when I could focus on the maybe the 10 that don't hurt. So instead of Guns and Roses, maybe I'm just doing Nat King Cole's voice, you know? And so yes. that's where a lot had to shift for me and for my audience, because I'll tell you, lots of people were disappointed when they're like, wait, you're not doing Jim Carrey? Wait a minute, what about what about this voice? I love your Macy Gray impression. And I'm like, Macy Gray ruined my voice. I, mean, <laughs> <laughs> I can't so do that anymore. I call it The Promise to the One. And and that's the book that I wrote. So The Promise to the One is the the one is yourself. The and one so is you, you. Okay. When you think about the promises you're making, you're probably making them to your boss, the people you work for, yep. your clients, even your family or your team. What about your promise to yourself? That's why we wrote the promise to the one first before we write all the other promise books that will come. But the promise to the one is what you talked about, finding your passion, going to that place, playing the piano, rediscovering, really, it's not just for them, it's for me, and now I can be of service. And now I can be of service, exactly, when when you do it for the right reasons. So what what was your promise? When did that change for you? What did you say, okay, this is now going to be my promise to myself? Do you mind sharing? Well, yeah, I mean, it was it was when... I'm, I'm making a great living. I mean, I was considered one of the top entertainers around, uh, nationally even, and I was making a lot of money. And I said to my wife, I'm done doing all of these things to my voice. I'm done doing these things to my body. I'm now going to become the keynote speaker we've always talked about, and I'm going to just you know, salt and pepper in the nice impressions that work, that don't hurt, that help me to teach. And she said, okay because she's awesome. She's always on board. I mean, even if I'm like, uh, I'm going to retire this year, she'd be like, okay, what do we do now? I mean, she's just kind of always on. And I'm so grateful for that. But it was it was a few years ago, I said, changing the website, changing everything, going all in as the speaker. I'm going to become an author. I'm going to teach. 
even with the challenges that I've been through, maybe that'll even help me teach better. And people really dig it, Carmen, because if I show them what I used to be able to do on yeah. video, they're like, oh my gosh, that is so good. And then I say, but I was breaking a promise to myself just doing it. And so what are you breaking a promise to yourself doing, but you're still going to work every day and you are not happy or you, you're maybe not ethically doing what you should be doing and you know you need to stop or you need to go somewhere else. It really helps people to think. And that's when I changed everything. That's very courageous to do. And I bet not easy. I mean, I'm sure it was really difficult to be like, I'm giving something up that I'm really good at, that I'm making a lot of money doing, but you were able to see long-term, but how will this affect me physically, mentally, emotionally? Was your amazing wife, Tammy, was she able to see that transition in you? Was she able to see this isn't good for you? And did she kind of help guide you down that path? Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, she's been my partner on this path the whole time. And she supported us at the beginning of my career when I was just working on voices in the basement, you know, like, oh, boy. Hi, everybody. Mickey Mouse here. All right. You know, and she's like, oh, my I goodness. Gotta go to, I got to go to Fidelity and make <laughs> a living for it. You know, and I'm like, oh, bye, honey. Have a great day at work. You know, and she's like, OK, I'm out of here. You know, and so she's been along this path with me saying, I, I believe it. in you. Yeah. I know you can do this. And so when I'm like, I'm going to do a show of all these characters, she's like, go for it. And then she's, awesome. I say, I'm going to retire my best stuff and I'm going to now create a different career. She's like, I believe you. You know, I mean, oh. she's just incredibly faithful in that sense, of course. And so I'm grateful for that, for sure. How lucky to have that kind of support and to have that kind of love, someone that believes in you and someone that is like, whatever you do, I support it. But not only that, I believe that you can make a success of whatever you do. So I want to talk about the voices for a minute. You do so many impressions. That was so awesome. Mickey Mouse, <laughs> Goofy, I should, I'm, my kids are going to die when they hear that. They love Disney. So you do all these voices and you, and you become all these characters. And I want to know who, what is Jason's voice? So when you're on stage and you're doing all this stuff, are you ever, are you ever just yourself? Does that, I mean, of course you are when you're speaking, but as far as like entertaining, like it, it, why, why the voices and everything? Like what, why are you ever just, okay, but this is now who I am. Great question. Uh, I know that at the beginning of the career, I was the most awkward part of my show. So anytime I wasn't a character, it wasn't interesting. In fact, oh. I had people tell me very point blank, you're the most boring part within your own show. Don't be yourself. Be, be Robin Williams throughout the show and oh. then be like, or be Johnny Carson and introduce all those artists. Yeah, that was really hurtful to hear, obviously, but they were right. Absolutely. And when I watched the video, I was like, man, that's true. So I've slowly, through 20 years of performing, figured out my own persona. And that persona really is kind of the the weird guy that lives next door, but is also <laughs> your best friend. You know? and that's become my persona. I'm like Mr. Rogers with a beard. And, and so, like, that's my persona. And then I just... I just sprinkle in all of these impressions, this comedy, music, that everybody goes, oh my heck, that's cool. But what's interesting, Carmen, is that 
even though I'm doing all these voices and sharing it for the intention of entertainment, but now for the intention of teaching the importance of sharing your own voice. That's Interesting. the main reason. So I'll say something like, think about the voice of Louis Armstrong, you know, and I'll go into it. I see friends shaking hands saying, how do you do? That doesn't hurt, by the way, just so you know. And so I'm doing that voice. Good use of vocal fry, Jason. That was awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And I, and I say, imagine if he hadn't shared his voice. Yes. Because he was told only to play the trumpet. But he shared his voice, and now it's the voice of joy. Question oh, yeah. for you is, are you sharing your voice, whatever that might be, whether it's as a solution you know, person at work or as the connector or somebody who always has the smile? Are you sharing your voice, your signature moves? So it's a great way to teach. But oh. I, I, I mean, that's the reason I do it. And with my own stuff, I've now become the host of all of these characters and then I share my faces and the things that make me unique. And then they all start <laughs> laughing because I'm sharing my perspective within the world of all these characters. People really dig it. I love, they do dig it because you, you have been so successful and people love you and they do feel like, okay, I can find my voice or find whatever it is that I do because we do, we each have our unique thing. Everyone has a thing whether or not you think you do or, or you don't, you do. Everyone is blessed with something and some voice and we're supposed to share it. That's what I love the most about singing. And I've said this so many times before is it's not about me. Like I can sing in my room all I want. And that's great. It doesn't benefit anybody. It's a talent that's purely given to me to give away. And same thing with speaking, same thing with musical instruments and painting and artists. All these gifts that we are given are purely given to us to give away and to bless other people's lives and tell them how to use theirs as well. So I want to know, you've talked about some negative things that people have said to you, and I'm so sorry. I feel like I know exactly how that is and exactly what that sounds like. And it's tough. And, and it, you kind of, you kind of get down on yourself and upset for a while, and then you kind of build yourself back up. And I don't know if you're the same, but it got to the point where I was like, there's really not a whole lot people can say that I haven't heard. <laughs> like I've heard it all, like all the negative stuff. You're, you're ugly. You're bad. You're terrible. You're this, you're that you should die. I mean, death threats. Like, and when I was on American Idol, there was no social media. Really. It was like my space. Facebook was a baby. And so they would, it was handwritten mail. You're terrible. And they'd mail it, seal it up, put it in the envelope and I'd get it. Oh, fan mail. And sometimes they decorate it to look kind of cute. And so I think it was fun and it was, you should die. So they're honestly, I'm like, I've heard it all. And at that point I was like, so it doesn't scare me anymore. The negativity and the criticism, it doesn't affect me as much as it used to because that's what I was so afraid of. And then I got through it and here I am, I'm alive still. And I'm okay. Do you feel like you've been able, that's part of why you are joyful and happy that you're like, well, I've heard all the negative stuff and look at me, I'm still alive and thriving and you can get through that too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm sorry you've experienced that because I know oh, exactly, yeah. you know, you go on my YouTube channel and you're like, this is so funny. And then you look at the comments, you're like, oh, I don't know if he's as good as I thought he was. <laughs> it's very, <laughs> it's I know and people are persuasive. Yeah. yeah People's opinions. I mean, hey, uh, I could get 99 people standing ovation, they love it, and the one person that doesn't, 
I mean, if you if you have a big white paper, a white poster board, and someone puts a black dot right in the middle, you only see the black dot. And yeah. That's just how we are. But I know that as I've gone through my life and received so much criticism, I know that years ago I heard somebody say that if you're not eliciting a response emotionally to either be completely on your side or completely against you, then you're in a middle area that makes no difference. So oh, that's like, interesting. Man, because for the first probably decade of my career, I very rarely received negative criticism unless I was on TV. I remember going on Good Things Utah, and then I got a bunch of mail that, you know, I hope you die and all that stuff. And it, oh, my you know, goodness. Why? It. Why? It's yes. Crazy. It is crazy. It's <laughs> awful. At the beginning of my career, so way back in 2004 or 5, when, when I was just starting to take off and getting on TV. But I'm telling you, Carmen, I mean, I've had... I've had it all. And yeah. at the same time, I still get it and it still stings a little bit. But now I have a certain type of empathy for those people. And yes. here's the empathy as to why it comes in. Because I've watched other people on TV or anywhere and living their dreams. And even if they're not great, I know I felt negative about well, why are why have they made it? Why are they bigger than me? Why are what, what's so special about them? And yep. I've had those same mean feelings, so now I have empathy for the hater that emails me or or writes a you know anonymous comment about how bad I am, and I say to myself, I know that person is wishing they could live their dream too, and so I feel that's where that person's at. I don't need to take that in for me. What and a great perspective. That's what's worked for me. That's a great way of, of turning around something that could hurt you because, and I tell my kids this too, like happy people don't want to hurt others. So if someone's being mean to you at school, they are hurting. If someone's sending us hate mail, you guys are terrible. They're hurting inside They're, because people that are confident with who they are and happy don't want to spread hate. But people that are insecure and feeling bad about themselves, it's like they just get, they're like, well, I need to bring you down to make me feel better. But guess what? It never works. They do it anyway. And I'm sorry that you've been through that, but I love that you were able to turn it around and now just help others be so positive and, and live their best lives and realize that stuff doesn't matter. And here's how we can uplift others and that you have that empathy. So let's talk about the positive stuff. What is one of the best comments or emails or you know feedback you've received after a show? I know it's all fun and people love it, but I'm sure it's actually very impactful and, and has helped change people's lives. What's one of the most favorite things you've heard after a show or, or from a book? Uh, I'll tell you, I remember after a show in Vegas that I did for 10,000 people at the MGM arena. And uh, I, I was standing backstage after having received, I think, three standing ovations, all the things. Oh, wow. This was in 2012 for a big, large corporate event. And... Um, I was standing there and, and I was just kind of toweling off, waiting to go get uh, go get changed and go meet everybody. And the guy that runs the spotlight, and the sound guy, and a couple of other employees of the place, came over and said, "What's your name again?" And I said, "I'm I'm Jason Hewlett." And they said, "I mean, all of them collectively looked at each other and said, you 'You're the best entertainer we've ever seen in our life.'" No We've done way. light and sound for everyone that's ever performed. <gasps> oh, including Sammy wow. Davis Jr., Britney Spears, Madonna, Cher, Ricky Martin, Michael Jackson. I was like, come on. And they were like, they all looked at each other and said, you can do everything. 
and we've never seen anyone that could make people laugh, make them cry, make them think, do the faces, do the voices, and Carmen, for me, when oh in 2012, goodness. I was like, I'm done, you know? Yeah, I, I've made it, I can, now I can die. <laughs> that was it. To How me, cool. and, and a lot of people are like, well, what about like if a famous person says something great, and lots of people have, and that's nice, but when it's the when it's the lighting guy who's seen yes. everything and has no reason to tell you that, right. I was like, okay, I think I can take that one. I appreciate that. You know? Journal moment for sure. Oh, yeah. that is awesome. Do your kids feel the same way about you? Are they like, dad, stop it. It's so annoying. Or do they, are they like, make us laugh, do a voice. How do your kids <laughs> feel about what you do? I think it's a balance. You know, it's a, it's, Dad, you went too far that time. And other times it's like, hey, my friends are here, make us laugh. Obviously, when they were between the ages of probably three and 10, it was way more like, Dad, do it again. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, I'm chasing them around as the raptor. They love that, right? But now my kids are 14, 13, 12, and 8. My older ones are like, okay, you know, now it's more subtle. It's like funny dad. Yeah. Yeah. I'll text them something and then they'll die laughing. And, and that's, that's not as much physicality anymore. But what's interesting is when their friends come over and their friends are like, your dad, like they didn't connect the dots who I am or something. And then I, you know, I do a face or do a Raptor thing. And then they're like, oh my gosh, I watched you when I was a kid. Or you came to my school and made us laugh for an assembly. That's what I'm like. Oh, that's cool. And the kids really like that. Yeah. And then your kids are like, yeah, that's my dad. They get that <laughs> little prideful thing. Like, yeah, uh-huh, that's my dad. That's my, my boys. When I practice sometimes for a singing gig, they'll be like, stop it. And they'll all run outside. Oh, that's so annoying. Or I'm doing my vocal warmups. Nay, 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 nay. You know, terrible. <laughs> They're like, stop it. And then every night when they go to bed, like, will you sing me a song? Will you sing me a song? It's like, yes, it's just, it's just for them now, mostly, yeah. but it's like, oh, their approval. It's, it means a lot to have your kids approval and to, and to feel like they look up to you. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I love that you do that. And singing to them is awesome. I, I used to do some, some silly stuff where I would talk about singing to the kids to bed. In fact, I did a whole dry bar comedy special. Oh, uh, did you? father time and some of those videos went viral about me trying to sing my kids to sleep with metallica okay you know, enter sandman i mean it's very funny it's on youtube i have to check this out because my boys i kid you not ask for the weirdest goodnight songs like right. acdc thunderstruck i was born in the middle of her and i'm all trying same thing i'm not as good yeah i do all the voices District. And I'm like, why do you guys like this? This is not a lullaby. Like, but it was on Plains Fire Rescue. And that's our favorite show. And so I'd sing that for them. They have the weirdest or like Nightmare Before Christmas. Boys and ghouls of every age. It's like the creepiest things. And I'm like, you guys, isn't this <laughs> nightmares? Nope. They love it. They ask for the crazy. You, you are going to flip what you just said. <laughs> what you just said about Nightmare Before Christmas. I use yes. that in the bit. I do. I say, I say, you guys want a scary song? Boys and girls of every year. And then I go into exit light, you know. So you're going to laugh when you see it. You'll oh, my gosh. It. I'm going to check it out and I'm going to show my boys. Maybe I'll just play that for them to go to bed at night. That's awesome. <laughs> How fun. Okay, Jason, I want to know one last question. Where does your inspiration come from for all these voices and for the bits that you do? 
do you honestly do you kind of sit down and say a prayer and say okay help me come up with a presentation that would that would be good or are you driving in the car and you're like I bet I could do, you know, Bart Simpson or whatever. Are you like, I bet I could do a voice like that. Do you just start doing it? I mean, how does, how does that inspiration come? Candidly, when I was creating this 20 years ago, maybe even further back, it was the inspiration was purely how can I make others laugh? How can I bring more joy to their life? in in doing these voices. And so whether it was, you know, something is a, as a third grader like Pee Wee Herman. <laughs> Hi, everybody. <laughs> or all, all the way to, you know, as a, as a teenager when I found out I could kind of sound like um, Alvin and the Chipmunks, you know. Exactly like it. That, that was what I wanted people to do was to elicit the response of laughter. I love and, it. When it, when it comes to now, however, I don't think I've worked on a voice for a long time. I'm still relying on the ones that I perfected back then. Okay. My real intention now is just how do I utilize what I've practiced for so long in a way that will move somebody to action and to changing their own thinking about themselves and their life. And so I, I, awesome. I really, now that's where the prayers come in. And I, I remember your audience would get a kick out of this actually. Right after the mission, I'm in the temple. I took a notepad so that I could write down my inspiration. And I was having all these funny thoughts. And a temple worker walks over and goes, Excuse me, young man, you can't write down what's in the temple. And I was like, oh, no, my I'm, goodness. I'm, I'm writing comedy. And she goes, you're writing comedy in the temple? In the and I said, this is a great place for inspiration. And she goes, you can't write comedy in the temple. And I mean, it was just one of these bizarre, like, like I'm no trying to do father. something no one's ever done before. <laughs> and I really believed That's that. That's awesome. Yeah. Like, so. No, this is inspiration, I promise. Heavenly Father approves. This is clean comedy. This is a good thing. She's I actually, so I was sent to the president's office of the temple. <gasps> this is a true story. And I walked in with this notepad and he goes, uh, let me see what you wrote down. And it's like, it's like, and then Alvin and the Chipmunks are singing with Snow oh, White and then Snow White's dancing with Jim Carrey. And then a Velociraptor shows up and he's like, what is this? And I go, I'm sure you'll know someday. Someday. <laughs> It'll make me famous. This is inspiration. <laughs> I'm sure he was like, oh, this poor man, like, let him yeah. go. He's a little troubled. That's <laughs> good, good luck getting a date, young man. Good luck. <laughs> that is awesome. Well, you have spread so much goodness, Jason, through your talks, through your presentations, your books. Go check out The Power of One. Where can people go if they're like, oh my goodness, I have to learn more about how to incorporate everything you said into my own life and how to be the best person I can be? Where can they go to learn more about that? Well, jasonhewlett.com is my website, and that has links to every place that I play. I, I don't yet have a podcast, but I'm working on getting that rolling. I've just finished this, this book, The Promise to the One. This is on, on Audible me performing it which is fun oh i was gonna ask if oh i'm so glad you're the one performing it the promise to the one and there will be more promise to the family promise to your business etc that are coming out but that book launched uh, number one on the spiritual self-help 
category on Amazon back in May. So <sighs> way to go. So it's a great read for kids and for families. So exciting. I'm so proud of you, Jason. Thank you so much for bringing so much joy and happiness and for all of the good you are doing. Thanks for listening to this episode of Doing Good with Carmen Herbert, available exclusively inside Our Turtle House. At Our Turtle House, there's something for the whole family. From full-leg talks that you can't get anywhere else from some of your favorite speakers, to fun family home evening lesson plans that follow the Come Follow Me curriculum. There's even short daily devotionals made specifically for your teens. Plus, you can get two months free when you sign up for an annual plan. Just go to OurTurtleHouse.com to get started. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you back here for another episode of Doing Good next week.